The Viewpoint with Songhez Omapepe on Mondays and Tuesdays, 8 till 10 p.m. On Mondays and Tuesdays, for now, good evening everybody again. Welcome back to the SAFM Viewpoint. Hashtag the Global Watch. That's the new segment that I re or that I talked about yesterday and said we would be engaging. So we're going one up from the traditional hashtag African narrative. Of course, it doesn't come at the expense of the African narrative, but rather we're making in the proverbial sense the circle bigger. So certainly African issues will enjoy prominence on this platform on this very segment, might I add, but also we're just trying to bring in a more global appeal to things and have discussions, which hopefully will bring in more audience and different perspectives and bring us or bring home to us sort of the global issues that I believe South Africans should at least be conversant of and about, if not aware. In that regard, then, Africa's divergent views on the Ukrainian crisis. This is the conversation we are now going to have End of February, Russian forces entered Ukraine in an act of war. The question then is, how is Africa to view all of this? Of course, this has some far-reaching geopolitical and related diplomatic consequences. So it, it stands to reason why some of the voting at UN level has taken place the way that it has Interestingly for South Africa, we haven't really committed ourselves one way or the other. We've just preferred to abstain from voting in condemnation or in support of what is happening from a Russian perspective. And that owes itself to the South African history in the struggle in particular and the ANC's ties with Russia in the days of the struggle that have now become diplomatic issues, given the fact that the ANC is now the party in government in South Africa. So there are lots of compromises and engagements and negotiations within negotiations that do take place. The question, though, still stands, what is the position in the broad sense of the continent on this crisis? The head of future of diplomacy at the University of UJ's Institute for the Future of Knowledge in South Africa Dr. Oluwaseun Teller is on the line to engage us on this topic. Doc, welcome to SAFM. Wonderful to have you here, and we look forward to your thoughts on this matter. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm going to ask a very broad question and make of it what you will. How should South Africa, especially but Africa in general, be responding to this Ukrainian crisis occasioned by its invasion by Russia? Okay, um, that's an important question. Um, but before I engage uh, the question, I think it's important um, that I note uh, something um, here. Um, given that the Russia-Ukraine crisis has emerged as the most significant uh, event uh, shaping international politics, uh, the University of Johannesburg's uh, Institute for the Future of Knowledge started worthwhile uh, to organize a series of webinars uh, to address um, the issue. So uh, the topic you mentioned earlier, it's what uh, we'll be addressing um, tomorrow. And um, the key speakers are the um, Ukrainian ambassador to, to South Africa, uh, Nigerian ambassador to, to South Africa, and um, Professor David uh, Moyan at the uh, Confucius Institute at the University of uh, Johannesburg. Now, going, going back to, to your question, um, it is important to note that uh, Africa has had divergent uh, views on the crisis, and this stems from in, a number of factors. And um, the views that 
Africa have on this uh, crisis um, also uh, became important. Uh, you know, people uh, began to you know uh, revisit these views following um, the April 11 uh, conversation between the chairperson uh, of, of the African Union, uh, uh, President Makisto of Senegal, and um, the Ukrainian uh, President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, they discussed a number of issues um, with respect to the crisis, and um, the President Zelensky also requested to address the African Union. And um, the request obviously uh, stems from the fact that um, Zelensky prefers the use of um, its global charm offensive to gather the support of um, the international audience. And in terms of um, Africa's um, disunity, um, <clears throat> you will recall that the last um, resolution at the level of the United Nations, Africa was quite uh, divided. Uh, on 7 April, precisely, there was a resolution on the United Nations uh, General Assembly uh, to vote uh, to suspend Russia from the organization's Human Rights Council. And in, in the resolution, nine African states voted against the resolution, and 24 abstained, which, uh, in my view, represented more than half of the continent. So as one of the key players in Russia and Ukraine uh, crisis, the U.S. has exacted diplomatic pressure on African governments to support sanctions against uh, Russia, but these have yielded uh, no surface. Uh, for example, as you mentioned earlier, uh, South Africa has abstained <coughs> on three occasions, uh, you know, the, uh, the resolutions condemning um, Russia's action. And um, President Cyril Ramaphosa uh, recently received a call from um, President um, Joe Biden of the United States. And, and President Biden stressed that uh, there is a need for a unified international response. So basically, uh, the... Uh, divergent views in Africa uh, stem from a, a number of factors. For instance, some would point to uh, China's influence, uh, because you agree with me that China is uh, Africa's largest economy, I mean, uh, largest trading partner. So the decision or the stance of, Ch of China on this issue has significant impact on how some African countries would, uh, you know, would uh, relate to Russia or Ukraine. And some African countries, such as um, South Africa, also point to uh, Washington's uh, double standards uh, by drawing attention to U.S.'s war in Iraq and from an African perspective in, in Libya. And, of course, you agree with me that um, it was the United States-led North Atlantic um, Treaty Organization that invaded Libya and killed uh, Africa's, one of Africa's most prominent um, African leader, uh, Momo Gaddafi. And for me, this significantly tarnished uh, NATO's image in, in Africa. And some African countries also do not see the rationale of, um, <clears throat> you know, taking uh, a position, I mean, supporting any of the countries. They, they feel that it's important to take an neutral stand in light of their economic and security interests and, and challenges. So in this regard, they collaborate with 
a number of allies to promote their interests and tackle the challenges. For these states, uh, taking sides may not be a strategic move. Certainly taking sides would not be a strategic move, and frankly, for that very reason, if ever there is a side to be taken, one need only look at the instability in the Arab states occasioned by the very same United States and NATO in 2011 in particular with the invasion or the killing ultimately of Muammar Gaddafi, sp- sponsored by NATO, and of course we know who was behind it, the United States. The Obama and Clinton administrations in relation to their foreign policy on the continent was terrible. And if one can compare and contrast that to the Trump and um, Pompeo administration, to the extent that the latter didn't even have a foreign policy on Africa, it was infinitely better because at least there was no instability further that was caused on the region. I'm now wondering why African states are being called in or drawn into this Russia-Ukraine crisis. One, from pure geography, it doesn't affect us. And two, this is a war or a standoff that is rooted in history following what happened in the First World War, Second World War, and the fall of the Soviet bloc. These are things no African surely is going to be able to mediate, much less bring to a resolution. Have I got my wires crossed in that assessment of things? Yeah, um, you, you are right. Um, but I think um, given that um, Zelensky um, um, does not have the same military might as, you know, as Russia, um, I mean, the president of um, Ukraine, Zelensky, does not have the same military uh, arsenal as, as Russia. I think he has to use what he has uh, at his disposal. And for me, I think it's been working for him. Uh, for instance, um, when, when you look at the, the capacity of these countries, you realize that uh, Moscow has the world's largest nuclear arsenal. Um, Kiev has none. And Russia has four times more military personnel than, than Ukraine. So for Zelensky, uh, the, the best weapon at his disposal is, is charm offensive. Long. Yeah, it's, exactly. And you, you, you realize that um, he has been successful in this regard. And um, uh, for instance, he has, been, he has become famous for his speeches uh, to national especially European uh, parliaments and international organizations across the globe. For instance, he has addressed the United States Congress, uh, German, British, uh, French, Italian parliament, as well as the United Nations and European Union. And while doing this, he often uses his um, rhetorical prowess to request for international support, uh, invoking memories of historical events and tragedies such as um, the, the Berlin Wall, uh, 9-11, uh, Pearl Harbor, Fukushima, and the Holocaust. And he also uses, sometimes he uses uh, emotive um, phrases, uh, such as, prove you are with us, and if you fail to live up to this moment, then shame on you. And in doing this, he has actually received standing ovations across across the, this uh, state. So for me, the next key uh, request, to address the African Union is to possibly garner African support and um, also possibly influence African states to adopt a common voice on the Ukrainian crisis as opposed to the divergent uh, views 
uh, we see in, in Africa. Today. If that and common I think voice from Africa was simply to be, this is not our crisis, this is not our issue, we have never received any form of support on any of our domestic affairs and troubles and issues from Ukraine. If anything, we get it from Russia more readily than we would from Ukraine. So if that common position was simply be, to be indifferent and not vote in favor of any resolutions that seek to punish or otherwise diplomatically ostracize Russia, would that be offensive? Yeah, I think the common position, um, Zelensky will be expecting. It's uh, a position that would um, actually uh, go against um, Russia um, at the level of the United Nations in particular. So when um, there are resolutions uh, passed, um, Condemn uh, Russia's um, so uh, Russia's um, um, action in in Ukraine. Zelensky would expect um, uh, African states to vote uh, in favor of such uh, resolutions. Let's talk about something which perhaps we now have an opportunity to engage. Is this equally not a good time to engage from what is happening in Russia, Ukraine? The record of the United States, you spoke about earlier the double standard that was raised of and about the United States in relation to the many of the wars it has been complicit and party to or even just the propagators and initiators of. Is this not a good time for the United Nations Security Council and the Human Rights Council especially to reconfigure itself and to set the rules anew so that a transgressor is a transgressor irrespective of standing? in the global arrangement of things? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you um, because you made mention of um, the importance of the United Nations and unfortunately um, the, the realities of today's world uh, do not uh, reflect uh, the structure of the United Nations. Uh, for instance, you have uh, five permanent members of the United Nations um, which are the United States, uh, uh, France, uh, Russia, uh, China, and the United Kingdom. Uh, when you look at the United Kingdom, for instance, the United Kingdom is not the major power in, in Europe, economically and militarily. Uh, Germany, which is the number one power in Europe, it's not uh, on, the le- on, on the United Nations um, Security Council. Africa does not have a representative on the United mm-hmm. Nations Security Council. So it's, it's time that we, you know, reformed the United Nations to reflect the realities of the 21st century. And also, you, you know, uh, before now, uh, because we, we must uh, emphasize the fact that the influence that the United States had on the United Nations has declined over the years, which is also a reflection of um, Washington's um, re- uh, recent um, uh, relative decline, um, you know. So before now, the United, you could say that the United States... Uh, significantly controlled the United Nations. The United States still does, um, no doubt about it. But um, uh, given that um, you have countries like Russia, uh, countries like um, China, um, that have emerged uh, as, as great powers uh, to challenge uh, the dominance of, of the United States, the United States does not have um, the much influence it used to have in the immediate period after the Cold War. And in keeping so it's important. with that, yeah, sure, it's important. Okay, please, please go ahead. No, well, I'm saying in keeping with that, uh, there clearly is a demise of U.S. influence, read or understood as control, 
in the global political world order. And Russia, in many respects, has blown the bluff of the United States. I mean, Biden had been threatening Helen Fury, and Putin did what he did at the end of Feb, and there's been absolutely no response whatsoever from the United States except for rhetoric. And which is more, China entered the fray by simply responding to all these sanctions that were placed against Russia by just lapping up particularly the energy supply that, of course, China needs, being just about one-third of the world's global population, and in many respects has assisted Russia cushion the landing of what would otherwise be the effect of the sanctions. Now, this obviously signals continuously the changing world order. China was an obvious threat in the Trump administration. It will always be a threat, especially now that they occupy a seat in the UN Security Council, as does Russia. They tend to vote along the same patterns. China, whereas doesn't interfere in other nations' political orders except for its own interest, Russia will almost invariably support the underdog. What you are saying and what I'm seeing and what I'm gathering is there is move from the West, literally, to the East, and this might be even better for South Africa given the fact that it is in the BRICS alliance with these very two global superpowers. I, I completely agree with you. I, I think um, it's important uh, for Africa, from an African perspective, that we champion an international system that do not have uh, superpowers. We champion an international system that have um, zero superpowers. We champion an international system that has many power centers so that we don't have the dominance of one uh, state. Um, you know, influencing uh, divisions at, at the global level, at the expense of, of, of Africa and, and other countries. You agree with me that um, um, the world uh, order today reflects uh, power dynamics, at, at the, particularly at the global level, between uh, key states, uh, the United States, the emergence of China, uh, that is now second largest economy, in, in, in the world, and a number of um, um, commentators have argued that uh, in, in a number of um, years, China would uh, overtake the United States as the largest economy in, uh, in the world. So definitely, the uh, United States is losing um, its influence uh, in international politics. And you also have Russia uh, that has uh, now become very assertive under, uh, under Putin. And you agree with me that what's happening currently in, in Ukraine, also speaks to the changing world order, uh, you know, because uh, one of the reasons uh, Russia claimed to have um, uh, invaded um, Ukraine uh, it's because of um, United States uh, influence on, 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 on Ukraine uh, through uh, the North Atlantic uh, Treaty Organization. For, so from an African perspective, it's important that we uh, embrace a multipolar world order as against a unipolar or a bipolar world order that we witnessed in the Cold War. And our greatest friend right now is time because we don't know how these things are going to unfold. But on present purposes, food prices have been severely affected. Common final, final point, I beg your pardon. The 
dialogue that's happening tomorrow. The Ukrainian ambassador to South Africa will be a part of it, and the chairperson thereof will be Arthur Mutambara, the former second vice president of Zimbabwe. So this is high-level stuff. What are you hoping this dialogue tomorrow is going to achieve? Yeah, um, I think the different um, ambassadors would... Um, I mean, the, um, the ambassadors, we have two ambassadors, as you mentioned, the Nigerian ambassador and the Ukrainian ambassador. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that... Um, in fact, I think the, uh, both ambassadors will pre- present their, their, the positions of their respective um, countries, and then the uh, academic uh, would probably have a balanced uh, position, uh, you know. So... Um, my expectation is that um, the Ukrainian am- ambassador would uh, tell us about um, what uh, President Zelensky um, aims to achieve by addressing the African Union and also tell us about um, um, why it is important for African states to have a common position mm-hmm. on this crisis and support uh, Ukraine. Certainly. I would expect that. Yeah, I would expect that the Nigerian uh, ambassador would talk about um, the Nigerian position on this crisis and also look at it uh, from an African, uh, African-wide perspective, given the fact that Nigeria is one of the major players on the continent. Well, we certainly look forward to the outcomes of that. I don't know when next we can have you, but be very sure we would be more than happy to have you talk to some of these issues, albeit following on from the dialogue that's taking place tomorrow. But your thoughts have been thoroughly engaging, and we certainly do appreciate your time, Dr. Teller.